Hello and welcome to Dyslexia Jewels. Uh, we are all about inspiring, educating, and encouraging. And I'm so excited to be here today with our special guest. Um, I'm also excited to be here today with my beautiful co-host, Meredith Pope. Hello, everyone. We are very thankful that we have Dr. Stephen English with us today. And Dr. English is a neurologist at the Mayo Clinic. He was trained at the Mayo Clinic, and now he is a neurologist there down in Jacksonville. Thankfully, he's in the warmer Mayo Clinic than the, the freezing cold Mayo Clinic. But we are honored to have you today to talk about more of the technical side of dyslexia. Janie and I always talk about the mom side and the teacher side, but today we are getting a little deeper into dyslexia, and we're going to let Dr. English tell us what is dyslexia for those of us who need more scientific version? Well, that, that's a great question. And, and I think that um, dyslexia is probably the end result of, of several different processes in the brain. Um, so it's, it's the symptoms that, like you said, that you as a mom and, and teachers experience. But I think the neurologic origin of dyslexia is probably several different diseases or several different things going on that can result in the same problem. But taking it kind of at, at its core kind of root name here, dyslexia is dis, which is kind of not or difficult. And then lexia is like lexicon, it's words. So dyslexia is difficulty with words. And we use dis a lot in neurology and in medicine. So people can have dyscalculia or difficulty with calculation, uh, dysgraphia or difficulty with writing. Um, you know, dysphagia, difficulty with swallowing, or, or so there, we use it a lot. But for dyslexia, we're talking specifically about words, and that's both uh, reading words through sight and also the pronunciation or the phonicologic uh, uh, discussion with words. So uh, at its core, it's just difficulty with words. But I think there's a lot of different, uh, more complicated things or nuances to what what actually manifests or causes dyslexia. That was a great explanation. Yeah. Um, I guess as a person with dyslexia, I think about, you know, some of my greatest challenges, like in school, even now, if someone starts talking and they're doing like sequence, so they're going to tell me five things. And it's very frustrating to me because I know I'm not going to be able to follow that. Um, so what is it about the brain, a dyslexic brain that makes like sequence so hard. Mm. That's, uh, uh, I guess, how much time do you have? Because we could <laughs> get very, very detailed. Um, but it's, it's, it's really fascinating because people with dyslexia, they have a normal IQ. So it's not that this is not an information, you know, uh, knowledge issue or uh, ability to learn issue. It's simply a processing speed. And as you can imagine, language is such a crucial part of being a human being. So so sometimes the processing speed difficulties really truly manifest as a, as a language disorder. Um, but, but I think you're getting kind of right at the, the, the crux of the problem. When you're talking about sequences, you're, you're having to focus intently on what's first, what's second, what's third, and, and you're having a difficult time, you know, hearing the words and, and then being able to kind of uh, bring that in and use that uh, for, for your own knowledge. And, that's why, uh, you know, the approach to education of people with dyslexia needs to be different. Um, but, but 
there's def many different things neurologically, I think, that can contribute to disorders of processing speed and language. So I, I think that's, you know, maybe another question that we could tease out here uh, in, in the next few minutes. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask you a question, and I hope I can describe this the right way. So I read an article, and I tried so hard to find it before I had you on our show, and it was talking about how the it was comparing three different types of brains. So you have your dyslexic brain, you have your, I guess, non-dyslexic brain, and then your autistic brain. Mm -hmm. And they were comparing the spaces between the neurons in the brain. And the, and the article went on to say that, you know, people with dyslexia have a larger space between the neurons. People with non-dyslexic brains or your average reader would have the perfect amount, if you will, I hate to say perfect, but the appropriate spacing between the neurons. And then people with autism have hardly any space between the neurons. The neurons touch each other and rub. Is that an adequate description? Or I, I think that's uh, at, at, at a very basic term, I think that does make a lot of sense. And, and so the way I think about this is uh, it starts at really day one when our brains are developing uh, before we're born. And if you can think about it, I think everything spreads out when we're born, right? We start as one cell and then everything kind of moves out as we grow and the brain is no different. So it's kind of like, I, I think of this as, as, as like a bike tire. So you've got the middle part and then things will grow outwards. All the neurons will grow out and it should form a perfect round tire with, with, uh, at the outside at the end of development. Now, the issue is, that the tire should have, you know, six different layers, basically. There's six different cortical layers, the cortex or that outer part. And so I, I had a professor talk to me like it was lasagna and he was an Italian guy. But if you can think about when you make lasagna, you've got each individual layer. Um, now, if you just decided not to layer it at all and throw all the ingredients in there, it would still taste delicious, but it do, it's not lasagna. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. The idea that each neuron as it develops knows it's going to go to, you know, the third layer or the second layer or the first layer. And sometimes they don't go where they're supposed to go. So the layers are a little bit mixed up. So I think that's one of the problems. And then you can imagine each of these uh, neurons, they kind of have, they grow branches like trees. And so I think this is what you're getting at with the space between them. So you can imagine, you know, I, I'm not a gardener, but if you, uh, what happens as we develop is we grow a bunch of different uh, branches. So each of each of our neurons has an abundance of these branches, and then as we are, you know, starting in our our early earliest stages of life, we're deciding which branches are going to be useful and which are not. So mm -hmm. we start to uh, cut the branches we don't need. Uh, and so sometimes what happens, I think, in autism is that there's too many branches and we don't have an effective pruning mechanism. So it actually kind of gets in the way of processing. And there, there is a theory about dyslexia where there may not be enough branches to begin with or enough, uh, enough of these kind of tree limbs to begin with. But I, I think that's probably true and explains some of dyslexia, but probably not the entire picture. Okay. Yeah, that, that does help me understand it. So do you feel like if a, if a parent suspects dyslexia and they are tested and they are, do you think that there is a brain scan or, or what are the different scans, if you will, yeah. that do they yeah. show them and what are they? 
That I, I, I see this a lot actually. And I, I deal with, uh, I see a lot of concussion in clinic as well. And, and concussion is a similar problem because we don't have good scans yet to identify. Um, we have MRI scans are great. They're, they're highly valuable for structure. So you can see, you know, that, that the, uh, that the connections are there. I mean, the, but it's purely just, um, it, you're just looking at it. So you can see the lasagna is stacked appropriately, but you can't really tell how those cells are communicating with one another. Okay. There's no uh, way to identify function of the brain. And I think that's what we're getting at more with dyslexia is that there's functional abnormalities. The communication between the cells is abnormal uh, or, or is, is, is not functioning the way it should. So that's, I think, something much more difficult to tell. Now, there are research studies with what we call functional MRIs, which basically look at uh, when you put somebody in an MRI machine, you actually start to have them do tasks. So you can say, okay, start to spell the word world forwards and backwards, and it measures how much blood goes to a certain part of the brain. So you can start to get some quantifiable uh, uh information about how functional a brain is, but this is an extremely difficult test that requires somebody to lay perfectly still, number mm -hmm. one, and also cooperate with these, these multiple level testing. Now, I am not a parent yet, but I can only imagine how difficult these studies would be to uh, investigate children, if you if you follow me. No, so, I don't. So we're not there yet. Mind lying still for that long. Yeah, Nor yeah. myself. I would. So I would sit sit still that. for an hour and follow the instructions is, is a difficult. Yeah, I could, if I fell asleep, I could, but I don't. I wouldn't be able to do my words backwards. No. <laughs> but I think we're we're starting to get there and and have a, a better idea about how our brain is connected, and I think that that's. Uh, it's the connectivity between cells that's going to be, I think, really helpful to tell us, you know, what is dyslexia. And I think, you know, my hunch is, is that it's not all dyslexia. You're going to have six different varieties based on what's the, what's the core problem. And we're starting to notice this in other, in other diseases that, you know, there's certain genetic mutations that, that cause something there's certain, uh, but at the end result is people have difficulty reading. You know what I mean? So yes. uh, I, I suspect that there's going to be multiple different problems leading to the same kind of phenotype, the same thing that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay. Yes. So what we try to do, um, you know, being dyslexic and, uh, you know, having a son that was, and I mean, Meredith is dyslexic and has children. And so we're, we want to see the positive side of that. So I would just like to kind of hear from you. What, what would you say to someone who has dyslexia, um, maybe a mom who has a child who has dyslexia that would encourage her or help her to understand what is going on? Because for a lot of people, um, dyslexia is still a word they haven't even heard, or it can yeah. be very scary. Yeah. Um, so what is some good news? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I, I think I already mentioned uh, uh, in one way that uh, th there's no IQ difference, right? So, so I, I think the the way that I look about it, it's not it's not a disability. Uh, it's it's a uh, I think the sky is the limit for for anybody. So, I think we need to foster education early on and just recognize that everybody learns differently, and and so it, I think that there should be uh, you know 
I think we have to remove the the taboo associated with dyslexia. We have to kind of uh, the negative connotation. Uh, I, I think, frankly, shouldn't be there. But I learn differently than you know the person next to me in medical school, and the and and so we just have to recognize and and use technology and use new information that comes available to tailor our education system so that nobody feels like there's any limitation or disability. In fact, that that I think we're getting there in some ways. And I think that uh, no matter what, we should be nurturing our children so that they recognize that this is nothing that should hold them back in life. Oh, that was wonderfully said. Thank you so much. I love that. And, you know, I just wanted to also add before we end, teachers and administrators, if you're out there listening, we cannot emphasize enough the use of structured literacy programs in your schools and your communities. Dr. English just said it. I didn't have to. Structured literacy programs like Orton Gillingham and Wilson, they help students learn no matter what their brain type is. Children learn to read with this program, and I highly recommend it. It opens up those brain pathways, and it gives them a chance. Please, if you have not thought about adopting those programs in your school, please. They really significantly help. They've helped my children learn to read, and it has made the biggest difference in our lives. Dr. English, thank you very much for joining us today. I know our viewers have loved hearing you and understanding more about the technical and the medical side of dyslexia. Janie and I are here, everyone. We're here for a shoulder or an ear or anything you need if you need dyslexia guidance. Thank you so much for having me. It was a, a privilege to speak with you and Thank you for all the work you're doing uh, uh, for children with dyslexia. I'm, I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to share what I know. Put things in a positive light. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Couldn't really end on a better note than that. Um, focus on the positive and please know that we are here for you. As I said, we're here to inspire and encourage and, um, you know, just helping everyone with dyslexia to live their best, most powerful life. Thank you so much.